This is Katie and welcome to episode 10 of Veteran Entrepreneur Talks. Each week we bring you the story of an entrepreneur who successfully made the transition from military service to building a business. This podcast is powered by the Veteran Owned Collective, a private community for veteran entrepreneurs. In this episode, we talk with Army veteran John Bradshaw, founder and owner of Household 5 Soaps. We talk about the importance of taking small, incremental steps when starting a business, how a marketplace can allow you to grow faster with lower risk, and what it's like to open your doors one week before the country shuts down in response to a public health crisis. For show notes, go to veteranownedcollective.com slash podcast. Let's get started. All right. Joining me today from Fort Wayne, Indiana is Army veteran John Bradshaw. John, welcome to Veteran Entrepreneur Talk. Hey, thanks. It's really awesome to be here. I'm a huge fan of the show, actually. Thank you. Or we're looking forward to chatting with you today. I'd love to kick off the conversation by hearing a little bit about your military service. Can you tell us what you did in the Army? Sure. So I was uh, in the heavy infantry uh, based out of Fort Hood, Texas. I started right after high school, about a week after graduation, and I left in 2004. So uh, it's been a little while. I was, I've actually been out longer than, than I'd like to think about. I just crashed that threshold and I've been out as long as I was in or longer actually. So yeah, it's a little bit of a flip there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It goes by fast, doesn't it? It does. It does. What did you do after you left the military immediately after that? Uh, I moved down to Austin because, you know, I thought that's where I spent all my weekends. That'd be the best place to go. Um, and I just, I floated. I didn't have a direction. I wasn't planning on getting out. Uh, I was medicaled out and I just floated rather aimlessly and it took a while to figure out a new direction. Okay. Did you ever think that you would start a business? Is that something you always wanted to do? Um, yes and no. Uh, it was always one of those things where I was like, man, I've got this notebook of really good business ideas. And, and I still have that notebook actually. Um, but it was always one of those things of like, yeah, that's, that's what other people do. And so, yes, I always wanted to. Did I ever think I would actually pull the trigger on it? No, it, it always seems such a, like a foreign concept. Interesting. Tell me more about why you thought that was something that other people do. Why do you think that was a path to you? Well, it, it's one of those things where, you know, there's tons of information on how to get into college. There's tons of information out there and there's all kinds of people are willing to, to tell you how to go apply for and interview for a job. Uh, there is far, it seems like there's far less introductory level information on starting a business, like just how easy it is to, to start a business in your own state. And then, you know, everybody always talks about the risk and, and when you're just trying to find a cardinal direction to travel with your life, you know, taking on something like setting forth on a business is, is even more of a, of a challenge with so many more unknowns that it just doesn't seem approachable. Um, it's it's a false narrative that I've I've learned, but but it certainly seems that way. Okay, okay. I, I think that uh, I would actually say there's like uh, an oversimplification sometimes, like some of the stuff we see in the media. Just like there's what you said, which is you know like how do I even start this? And the other side telling you, you know, come up with a business idea. And again, you're a there's just like, there's nothing real, right? Yeah, sorry. Uh, you hit the nail on the head. Like, there's lots of information out there that is oversimplified. Like, here's the flashcards on how to do it, but like, none of that is practical application information. Mm-hmm. It's all like, oh, you just simply come up with a business idea. Oh, okay. Well, that's easy enough. No, it's not really. And then you just set up and start a business. 
oh, okay, you know, because you're right. And, and it actually translates over into our, our normal language about the whole topic. Because when I told people I was starting a business, it was, oh, hey, what's your app going to be? And are you the next Amazon? And it's like, A, it's not an app. And B, uh, there's a whole lot of room between me and Amazon before I would consider myself successful. Like there's, there's plenty of places in there where I could just hang it up and retire to a tropical island. But um, probably, but I feel like a lot of people think that they have to this blockbuster success. But most of us are never going to be that. I mean, we don't have to be that. You can make a very nice business that's small-ish that like supports you and your family and then some. And like, I think that's like a gross misconception when people talk about entrepreneurship. But but you you did it. You pulled the trigger and you founded uh, and own a company called Household Five Soaps. So tell us where that idea came from and, and tell us a little bit more about the business. So, so Household Five uh, was born out of necessity, really. My grandson, Liam, was allergic to every soap that we tried. It left him in a very painful head-to-toe rash. Um, and, I mean, he was just miserable. And if you've got kids, you know what that's like to, to see them. You'll do anything, really. I mean, you'll do anything. And what it ended up doing is we ran through a bunch of soaps. We ended up going to the farmer's market and picking up some soap. And in about a week and a half or two weeks after trying that soap, his rash had cleared up. And it wasn't that it was like some miracle cure soap. It just didn't contain the stuff that he was having an allergic reaction to. Mm -hmm. And so we started looking into that. And that was really kind of where it, it, it got its, you know, genesis point was from that. Uh, oddly enough, my mother, so we're originally from Texas and uh, my whole family's been there for generations and generations. We own a a family farm up there and are down there. I'm in Indiana now. And she goes, Hey, I've got your great, great grandmother's recipe from like the turn of the 20th century. If you want to try it out now, knowing my family, my wife and I were a little worried because we were like, this could be like goat's blood and rum for all we know. Like this could be anything. And it turned out to just be a bunch of vegetable uh, oils and some lye. And so, you know, we modified it a little bit, made it a little more sudsy and added some scents and some colors and, there we are. Uh, that was really the, the birth of it. Okay. So, so this is, uh, you find out that there's something that can help your family um, and you figure out how to make something better than whatever else is out in the market. So you had this idea. So how did you actually jump from the idea, the initial product to, I can actually make this a business? Yes. Yeah, so that, that was a, a terrifying challenge at first. And it always seems terrifying before you make the jump, right? It's like your first jump in jump school is it's terrifying until you did it. And so um, the idea there was we started making soap and you can't make soap in like small batches necessarily, or you can, but it's, it's kind of a very inefficient process. So we were making like lots and lots of soap and I would take it to work. And our coworkers after a while were like, well, let me pay you for this. Or can you make us uh, this scent? And we'll pay you for the materials. And then it became, you know, well, can we buy some extra ones for the holidays? Because we want to give them out as gifts. And so we just saw the opportunity there. And that's where we said, well, why don't we just try a farmer's market? Like, I totally adore people that are like, yes, we had this vision from the get go. Because for us, it was little baby steps. And then we said, okay, well, this is going, this could be a business. So let's take another little baby step in that direction. It was like starting a road march. You know, it was, if you look at the whole thing, it's overwhelming. But if you just start walking in the direction, you'll eventually get there. Yes. The journey of a thousand steps begins with the first step or whatever that quote is. Um, Okay. So you decide you're going to do a farmer's market. 
And I mean, I'm assuming there's some sort of like deposit, like financial investment you have to make to take that next step. What was that like? So for us, we sat down and looked at our own personal budgets and we said, okay, how much can we afford to invest in this business? And, and it was honestly, it was like $100 a month was the maximum we could invest into the business at that time. And we said, okay, well, what can we make work inside of $100 a month? And we bought materials and we stockpiled soap for a while. And then, yeah, we went, we looked up our farmer's markets who are usually awesome at telling you exactly how much they want to charge you to set up a booth there and for how long. Um, and, and we just connected with a few farmer's markets. We actually didn't have much success there. And we ended up considering it more of a marketing expense. Not that people weren't buying our soaps, but more because it was, uh, by the time you factored in the cost for our time and then factored in the rental space and everything like that, we had to have an overwhelmingly awesome day to even you know make out a little bit of extra profit. So we looked at that more of as a marketing expense just to get our name out there. Mm-hmm. I, I think you actually think it's very important, and that is factoring in the cost of your own time. I was talking to someone recently about you know, my business and personal business as well, and this idea of you know in a equation, right? Like how much time do you invest in something in your business or in a certain product that you're building, or in your case, like the farmers market? There's an equation, right? Like how much you put in and how much you get out. And I think a lot of entrepreneurs, especially when you're small, they don't value their personal time. But the reality is if you're working on your business, you're not doing something else. You're not working a paid job or you're not working on other business ideas. So I think it's really important. And I love that you actually talk about it at an early stage because that's your time is valuable, right? Yeah. Um, it, it's kind of funny. I totally agree that you have to factor in your t- own time. What we did though is because we wanted to grow our business quickly is we said, and this is a bit of a, an, an accounting gymnastics, but we just kind of went, okay, so our time is worth this much money. Now, personally, I'm going to reinvest that same money right back into the business uh, because we wanted to just grow it faster. We didn't need, you know, we were fortunate in that we didn't need that money to cover personal expenses. We could afford to just reinvest it. And then we eventually stopped investing that initial $100 and we were just reinvesting our time in what that purchased for the company. And, and so, you know, it's, it's a very step-by-step approach. A lot of people now like to just jump straight to the end and get prepared for their acquisition statement. And instead, you know, we're, we're taking a very much more uh, prolonged, long journey approach to it. We're talking about the, the next step that you would take in your business, which is to go to the farmer's market. And you were saying initially, it wasn't like a smashing success, but you kept taking incremental steps forward. So at what point did you move past the farmer's market? And what was your next step there? Uh, right. Well, so it was a bit of a the adapt and overcome mentality. So our next step really was, you know, one there was a lot of a lot of competitors at the farmers market. There was a, it's it's a pretty packed market space locally, and we said, well, where is it not a packed market space? And we saw that in businesses and also online, it wasn't a hugely packed market space. So we said, oh, okay. So we started shifting over to B two B sales. And we started getting into stores instead of trying to sell just directly to the consumer. And then we created our website as well. Um, so that way people could grab our products online whenever they wanted to. And they didn't have to wait for uh, you know early Saturday morning to go get the scent that they wanted. So that was really where we started transitioning there. We started looking for ways to set ourselves apart. And one of the things that we had in our hip pocket was a lot of soap makers aren't really good IT people. and we have to know really good IT people. So we had a, a, a pretty good website developed and, and things like that. So that 
kind of, once we started moving away from where everybody else was, we could still start to differentiate ourselves in the market. And so we started attacking that. And we also got in on uh, CBD isolate products as well. So we have soaps and bath bombs and things like that with CBD isolate. And that just wasn't being done a lot on the market at the time. Okay. So you decided to expand the product line in addition to going into other channels like wholesale and online. Exactly. Yeah. And how many products like Ballpark do you have now? I think I have 50 different UPCs. Okay. And where did you start selling online initially? Was it just your website? Did you use places like Etsy or Amazon? Anything else? Um, we looked at Amazon, but no, it, it's primarily just our website. Now we've been picked up by a few other websites since then. And we've been picked up by, uh, some subscription websites as well. That was our original idea was to do a subscription based bath product business. And, um, that's kind of stalled because we've been picked up by other people's subscription based businesses. So it's kind of like, well, I don't want to necessarily compete against my own, my own buyers. Yeah, no, that makes total sense. I mean, if you can use them as a sales channel, it's probably less effort for you. They're getting the customers and you're just giving them the product, right? Right. So, okay. So you have gone from a solution for your family to the farmer's market to wholesale and online. And now I think uh, you have taken the next step into a retail location. Is that correct? Correct. We actually opened the weekend before COVID-19 started right. as, as an issue for our, our state. Like the weekend before they uh, locked down the state, we opened our doors. Life is about timing and the timing is never right. So, well, you know what they say, uh, opening a small business is just too easy nowadays. You really got to up the challenge level. <laughs> right. So um, tell me how you came to the decision to open a retail location because everything that I hear and read is that retail is declining and it's dead, et cetera. Sure. Um, so the reason we came, we're very much uh, two birds, one stone type of people. One, we needed to expand our production. And I looked and looked and looked and said, you know, well, the cost per square foot of just a production space is only marginally cheaper than production with a retail in a, in a retail location. So I said, okay, well, what if we opened up a store and sold other people's products as well, not just our own? Because while most people are saying, yes, everybody's going online, what you'll also notice is that many online only retailers are opening up brick and mortar locations to provide better customer service, to provide the, the opportunity for returns, such as now this is a bit of a twist to that is like Wish. Wish isn't just delivering to your door anymore. You can set up your own retail location, your own business as a Wish drop-off spot. So now they're not willing to invest in their own retail locations, but they are using retail locations for customer service. Tell us about what is Wish. I'm not familiar. Wish is an, is an app where you can go on and buy really, really cheaply made uh, Chinese products and things like that. Like It's like Alibaba. It's a competitor to Alibaba and the stuff is cheap in price. And But, but uh, instead of delivering to your door, they started a program where you can... Um, have your business location set up as a drop-off. So UPS drops it off at your business and then the, the buyer comes and picks it up at your business. Ah, I see. Interesting. So you signed the lease very shortly before all this happened. So tell us what you've been doing like since, since all of this really became a major issue. What, what, how's your business changed and, and how's your retail location, like plans for that changed? Sure. <laughs> well, so we, we actually signed the lease in early, early February, and we built the whole location out all the way up until uh, March 21st. March 21st was our opening day. 
And so in about a month and a half, we ended up turning a, what used to be a tax place and into a, into a retail location. And since COVID-19, we've had to focus a lot of time, effort, and dollars on marketing and getting our name out there than we had planned. We actually picked a location that had high traffic and had a lot of stores and like there's a coffee shop next to us. Well, coffee shops are right in our target demographic. People that go buy coffee on their way to work also buy our products. And so they're shut down. So every place around us that was we were banking on for visibility and traffic uh, are all shut down. So we've had to alter our plan around marketing. We've printed and created our own flyers. We've spent more on social media marketing as well. Uh, and then we've also had to diversify our product offerings. Like we're going to start making hand sanitizer and mm-hmm. you know offer it as a free giveaway when with a purchase kind of thing. And we've had to do these different things. And some of them have, have worked well, some of them have not, but you know, you've got to keep experimenting. You can't just do the same things over and over and over again. Um, other than that, we're extremely careful with what we spend. So for instance, like I said, we made flyers, we printed flyers. I didn't go hire an artist and a printer to print them out. And I just did the best job I could. And we just had to be okay with that, which my wife's kind of a perfectionist. So we went through several iterations of, of anything that goes out the door. That's good. It sounds like she's got some strong quality control in place there. Oh my gosh. If, if you're in a marriage and you both work together in a business, it has to be a partnership or else one of the two is going to suffer. That sounds like a whole other separate uh, podcast. Yeah, that's like a whole other podcast. <laughs> with your spouse. Um, I mean, I mean, just like uh, to ask you a frank question. I mean, uh, if you're you've opened a retail location, you're counting on foot traffic. I'm assuming your store can't actually be open right now. No, we can. Uh, we're listed as an essential uh, product provider because we make okay. soap. Soap is the number one thing that CDC says kills COVID nineteen. So okay. But the main source of your retail sales is foot traffic, and that has significantly declined. So are you going to have a problem in a certain number of weeks or months in terms of like the equation, what you're spending on this location and what you're able to bring in? Well, so for us, we also tie in our B2B sales from that as well. Um, But if we will eventually run into a, a larger problem, because we were a new business starting up a new retail location, we planned ahead with a budget to run for about six months of zero sales. So I said, okay, how much money do I need to run for six months with zero sales? And we, we set that aside. And so we still have that to pull off of. Um, but absolutely, we're still trying to take advantage of the EIDL and the PPP and all of those things as well, because you know we're seeing that sales for products like ours may not pick up until the holidays. I'm not saying that's for every industry, but certainly for us, which is a bit of a luxury product, Mm-hmm. Um, may not pick back up until people have a reason to buy. Right. Yeah. I and mean, this is a tough time for every business, but specifically those that rely on, on foot traffic. I love to hear that you plan for six months with zero sales. I mean, uh, it's the best thing you could have done walking into a situation like this, which obviously you didn't know was going to happen. Yeah. Uh, luckily it hasn't been zero sales, but you know, it, it's been close enough to it that it was prudent choice. Well, lower than expected. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Um, so, so tell me a little bit more. So it sounds like you have like a financial plan and you have, you know, you're thinking more than just a month or two ahead. What kind of resources did you use when you were preparing for this and you're building your business to, to give you these ideas and to kind of put you on this right track as far as planning? So, you know, I'd love to say that I sat and thought about it all in a, in a vacuum and I'm just brilliant like that. Um, but more and 
what would be more truthful is I depended on everybody else. So meaning that uh, I picked everybody's brain. We joined several professional networks and probably one of the most beneficial uh, that we've, we've been in touch with is, is, is our local SBA. They've been a huge boon of knowledge and resources as well as, as other professional, like there's tons of small business and entrepreneur networking groups those have been a huge boon as, as well because some of those businesses are still bought small businesses, but they've been here for a while. They've gone through recessions. They've gone through little dips in the economy and seen how to weather those storms. But also, I mean, just starting up a business to begin with, they're a huge boon of information. We also partnered, this one's kind of odd. I, I've not heard many people talk about this, but we also partnered with one of our local universities and their business schools are always always searching for real world clients for their students to do projects on. And it's pro bono. Um, they ask for your time and they ask for, you know, like letters and things like that uh, after the, the work is done, but it's good work. It's creative work. It points out, at least for me, it just, it pointed out just how out of touch with uh, modern trends I am. And uh, you know, they're a huge boon to, to a small business. If you can reach out to the business schools and tell them, Hey, look, we're a small business. We've got projects. Projects, uh, they'll jump all over it. Yeah, they uh, actually. We did a similar program at, at Columbia uh, when I was getting my MBA, and I there's also within the MBA there's a group of veterans who are in the MBA programs, and that's even more niche. And I know that there are some schools like Rice University, for example, that that does like a veteran business battle, and they're focused on in addition to like the case study stuff you've talked about. Um, they're focused on helping connect investors to veteran entrepreneurs. So I think that's a great point. And we'll put that in the show notes about tapping into business schools, specifically the veteran component of that, because that's a, a great way that's yeah. a great in for other vets. Yeah. It's, it's really interesting is, is that the work that we've brought them has actually helped spark a conversation at the university around promoting entrepreneurship more as a path. Like they have a degree plan that's entrepreneurship, but I think they have like 10 people in the entire degree plan for entrepreneurship. But I certainly remember when I went to college, nobody was interested in being an entrepreneur. I, I mean, everybody was like, oh, I'm going to apply at this job or that job or Amazon or Google, or uh, I got a computer science degree, but nobody was talking about, yeah, I want to open my own business. And it's, it's one of those things where I found that completely lacking because I think one of the strengths that we have in the United States is the fact that we can easily open a business. Um, You've got to be willing to take on some of that risk. And there is definitely risk there. It's a long haul kind of deal. It's not, you know, as easy as going to work for somebody else. Right. And I, th I think it's so interesting because when you think about like a hundred years ago, I mean, almost everybody was an entrepreneur. Like you had <laughs> a small farm, you had a shoe company. I mean, and it's funny that now it, it come back around and we're thinking that like entrepreneurship is this path that we don't really talk about anymore, but that that's our roots. Like, I mean, not just America, just people in general, like you have a small enterprise. Maybe oh, yeah. Yeah. I mean, I could talk at length about how my personal thoughts on the future of American economy is going to be more and more regional small businesses, more and more small businesses able to have a broader reach with fewer people. So then you need, of course, then more small businesses to, to support the workforce. Another podcast that we have to start. <laughs> <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of work to do here. Um, so it sounds like you have you have a great plan. You have a great start. I mean, you, you've gone through these different uh, stages. You've taken steps at the right pace and you're, you've positioned yourself with multiple sales channels, multiple products, and now you're actually becoming a marketplace, right? Which is removing the burden from you to produce all the products, right? 
Right. So we carry um, we carry our own products here. And this is part of the equation around creating a retail store. But we also carry other local makers and other veteran makers from across the nation, which many of them are actually con- uh, connected with through the network that you built. And so some of those those vendors we haven't been able to bring on yet, just simply because the economy has been slower than we had anticipated. But we do have them slated to bring on a new vendor each month. And so, yeah, so we're looking forward to that. And, you know, we had to really sit and think about that at first because we were like, are we diluting our own brand? And and we said, you know what? No, we're not. Like we're Bath and Body Works if they got bought out by ACDC. And, you know, that's really kind of the approach that we're taking with it. So with, with that, we're able to not only help our business, but help our local community. And on top of that, we get to do some consumer research. So if you're always thinking about your business, like any entrepreneur should, every opportunity has multiple gains for your business if you think about it from the different angles. So like, for instance, if we, we can't possibly make everything, but let's say I wanted to make a, a new product. I have now time to make a new product in my catalog. I can watch my shelves and say, okay, well, what's selling great? Oh, okay. Beard oil selling great. Great. I'm going to make my very own formulation of beard oil and I'm going to make that and test it out on my shelves. And I didn't waste time on something that isn't selling very well, like maybe a deodorant or whatever. Mm-hmm. Feels like exactly what Amazon's doing on a very large scale. <laughs> it does. And, and that's a battle that we had too. Like we were like, is that morally correct? And I said, well, yeah, because I'm not going to use anything like their recipe, a competitor's recipe. I'm not going to use anything like that. Mm-hmm. We'll create our own from scratch. And we'll come up with our own interpretation. I get what you're saying, but, you know, like uh, if beard oil was unique to a single company, like if only one company ever made beard oil and they invented it, absolutely, I'd leave beard oil alone. But there's tons of companies out there making beard oil. And you carry a lot of products that you would probably never even be interested in making. Uh, Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Yeah. Um, Well, I, listen, I, I think that you guys have you you have a solid plan in place. Sounds like you have multiple contingencies. You have a reserve, which is, is smart as well. So I'm I'm curious, you know, if you have any pieces of advice for other uh, veterans who are in a similar position, whether they're considering starting a business or they're just getting started. Like, do you have a, one or two nuggets that you can share with the community? Yeah, uh, just you know, if you want to start a business, just start marching in that direction. You know, just start moving something in that direction. It doesn't have to be big. It doesn't have to be bold. You know, the only definition of business isn't the Amazons and the Googles of the world. Small businesses can be just that. They can be small and that's perfectly okay. Start there, start small. Also, when it's time, when you're ready, don't be afraid of external funding. I'm not saying it's for everybody and I'm not saying that you should irresponsibly go seek external funding, but certainly if you're ready to move to that next step, and funding is what's stopping you, then don't be afraid of external funding. It's not like personal finances where running up, you know, credit is reasonably irresponsible in some cases, especially if it's consumer credit. But in a business, you're spending money to make more money. You're spending money to expand the business, not just spending money because you wanted a new shiny. Right. It's an investment. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Um, Well, this has been so helpful. I'm excited to see where your company goes. And um, can you please tell folks what's the best way to get a hold of you if they'd like to follow up? Sure. It's uh, John, J-O-N, at householdthenumber5.com. And that's also our website. You can leave a message through our website as well. It's just www.household5.com. Great. And I'll include all that in the show notes in addition to the resources you mentioned. Well, thank you so much for your time. And I'm looking forward to seeing where your business goes. 
Awesome. Thank you. That's our show for today. For show notes and a list of resources mentioned during the podcast, head over to veteranownedcollective.com slash podcast. Tune in next week for our conversation with Army veteran Stephanie Lincoln, founder of Fireteam Whiskey. And if you're a veteran business owner or a supporter of veteran business owners, make sure to check us out at veteranownedcollective.com.